You're listening to Around Comics, episode 112. Chicago, this is Around Comics, a roundtable discussing topics in and around the world of comics. I'm your host, Christopher Neesman. I'm joined, as always, by the co-host of the show, Mr. Brian Salazar. Yes, that's me. And Hello. Mr. Tom Caters. Hello. Hmm? <laughs> Tom. Here I am. I am. Yes. yes. Tom. Mouse guard. <laughs> And back from the Heroes Con no, in North Carolina is uh, the artist on Marvel's The New X-Men, Mr. Scotty Young. I'm a level 12 Risk player. You you're fucking dumbing <laughs> this show down. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a podcast killer. <laughs> Thread this is probably the up. last one you're going to listen to. This is it. It's all done That's after it. this. It's after done. this. We ran out. Oh, in just a couple minutes, we're going to be talking oh, with yeah. David Peterson. He is the creator of Mouse Guard. I'm sure most everybody out there has heard about the uh, the little book that could and did from 2006. And will. And will. It won't stop. Never. And that like, means it's a great time to uh, let you know that this episode of Around Comics is sponsored by Borders. To help mice thrive in a world filled with harsh conditions and predatory attacks, the Mouse Guard was formed. In this first volume, Saxon, Kenzie, and Liam are dispatched to find a missing merchant mouse that never arrived at his destination. In doing so, they stumble onto much more than they had bargained for. Get your copy of David Peterson's breakthrough series Mouse Guard at your local Borders. Borders is your home for the newest graphic novels, manga, and more. Find a store near you at borderstores.com. And Around Comics is recorded every Friday at 7 o'clock at Dark Tower Comics and Collectibles, located at 4835 Northwestern Avenue in Chicago. If you're in the area, please drop by. We would love to meet you. Yes. Press the flesh. That's what we <laughs> always do. Before every show, we line people up. We walk by and shake hands, kiss babies. Hey, how you doing? Hey, thanks for coming by. Yeah, appreciate it. Yeah. Get Good to see you again. <laughs> get behind the rope. Not so close to Tom. Not so close. Don't touch it's Tom. Infectious. Do not feed the cage. Never look me in the eye. He's <laughs> like the Tasmanian. Well, guy. they can't look you in the eye. You have your Elvis glasses on. Yeah, always. <laughs> all right, I'm folks. I'm all strung out on comics. <laughs> Tung out by the roots. That <laughs> <laughs> Elvis moment. Uh, out. I'm sick. <laughs> All right, folks. The surprise hit of 2006, Mouse Guard, captured the imagination of comic fans everywhere. A series more than 10 years in the making, the story of a mouse society and those dedicated to its protection from the threats, both external and internal, struck a chord with readers. Mouse Guard reminds us that great comics and great characters can come in all shapes and sizes. Around Comics is happy to welcome Mouse Guard creator, David Peterson. Well, first of all, David, thank you very much for taking some time out of your evening, and welcome to Around Comics. 
Thanks for having me on. Looking back on the last year, MouseGuard has has gone from being uh, an independent success to a commercial success with multiple reprintings, and now you have this beautiful hardcover edition. Can you walk us along what it's been like to to grow this from an indie book into in, into what it is now? Sure, uh, it, it's been an incredible thing. Um, I started out doing this as a self-published black and white thing. Um, that I thought was a complete experiment. I, I wasn't really a comic book guy. I didn't have any sequential work to show anyone. And I, I set up at a show, had some sample sketches of the Mouse Guard stuff, and people started asking, when does this book come out? So I, I just started answering them, oh, I'll have a, a book ready for the next show. And uh, so it went from being that, that very kind of grassroots, uh, local fans wanting it to... Um, then taking it with me, just in my in my uh, in my bag to San Diego to hand out to some other people, and I was told, "Hey, you should go talk to Arkea Studios Press." And Mark at Arkea pretty much told me on the spot, "Hey, let's publish this right now." And um, and I figured it'd be uh, you know it'd be a book that had a nice once they got national distribution, it'd, it'd be a book that had a nice little niche market, a nice um, small cult following. And it turned out to have a pretty big following. And then Wizard did an article on it. And it's like, whoa, I never, ever, ever thought I'd be in Wizard. I thought Wizard was rever- re- reserved for the the Jim Lees, the the uh, J. Scott Campbells of the world, the Michael Turner, uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> the, the Scotty Young. <laughs> uh, but, but not for the David Petersons of the world. And And they did a really nice article. And generated a lot of a lot of buzz, and, and then other podcasts started talking about it, and um, people were blogging about it. Uh, you know, people were reviewing it online, and and that generated more buzz to the point where we were running out of printings, and um, we weren't just running out of a first printing; we were running out of a second and third printing. And so it took us a while to get to know what the printing number should be for the future issues to make sure that we had enough um, without, you know, eating a ton of backstock. But, uh, by the time we got to issues five and six, we, we knew what our what our stride was and we felt like we were hitting it. And, uh, and then we announced the hardcover and it just blew up. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's been incredible. It's like every turn, every convention I go to, it's either some... Um, some industry professional that I look up to, uh, who's who's stopping, taking the time to stop by the table and say something really nice, or it's a really heartwarming story about a kid um, who who has a really hard time reading in school, and and his parents are getting him to use uh, mouse guard to read. And it, it's always something like that, or something like uh, uh, Diamond Select Toys comes our way and says, "Hey, we'd like to do a." a line of toys based on your comic. Talk a little bit about, I mean, I, I read an interview that you had done, uh, I think it was last year sometime, and, and you sort of talked about how in 2005 you're, you're at San Diego uh, set up and, and putting, you know, or you went to San Diego just as a fan, uh, mm-hmm. and then in 2006 you, you went back and, and you and your wife had sort of talked about how uh, you had met the Archaea, guy, or the, uh, Archaea guys, and and just the success, I mean, you, you kind of call it an overnight success, but you've been working on this book for like a decade now in in some form. 
But as, but as far as the difference, you know, the immediate success that you've had in the last couple of years with this book, how has le- your life changed just from the aspect of become, you know, being a fan of comics and then almost immediately you are now this professional with this very successful book, and, and, and how has that really changed your life at this point? Um, well, when I started working on the book, I was, uh, in terms of comic, um, I was working in an antique store, and knowing that I wanted to get into to drawing professionally, um, just couldn't find the right avenue in. I had tried even getting into children's books, and that didn't really uh, pan out. Granted, I didn't I didn't pound the pavement as much as I could have. I didn't I didn't work as hard as I probably should have, but. Um, I didn't get a lot of response right away, so I just kind of passed on it, and I was designing their website and taking photos of antiques, editing out the backgrounds, um, answering the phones, <laughs> faxing, dusting, stuff like that, and just figured that um, if I'm going to be at home, I was drawing every night when I got home anyways. I'm going to be at home drawing. I might as well be working towards making something, not just doing fan pieces of comics that I like. Well, do you, well think, do you think there's naturally a tie between working in an antique store and sort of sword adventures <laughs> that occupying your mind when you, um, when you leave the antique it, store? It made some of it easier, uh, <laughs> you know, seeing all that. And we dealt in uh, antique architecturals, so we had huge carved wooden mantles, and you could kind of picture the rest of the, the stone manor around it or, or what the what the carved woodwork would be and it, it did put your mind back there and just think about craftsmanship of things but, uh, but yeah I mean I went from from being that guy who was working that job to now I was able to quit that day job because uh, financially it was feasible and time wise I really couldn't keep going on the way I was well you uh, <laughs> you've definitely made a lot of creators that you've probably looked up to uh, pretty jealous <laughs> and then uh I just, I mean, me included. Just you know, I really, I I bought your book uh, a couple a month or so ago, and and really really enjoyed it. And uh, actually, Josh and I sat around this past weekend at Charlotte talking about your book, going, "Yeah, we're losers." Oh, <laughs> you know, we what are we doing? I I totally recognize how unusual it is to come right out of the gate and not only just have people like the book, and not just have the book distributed nationally but to have this kind of success I mean I I realize when people say uh, what do you attribute it to or what kind of advice do you have um, no matter what kind of mumbo jumbo I can come up with for I think the book appeals to this person or I think you have to work really hard on crafting a story ultimately the last line of what I say is and it comes down to a whole lot of luck you know I'm already I'm already hearing independent creators on either other shows or in interviews um, referring to their work as hoping that it's the next mouse guard does that does that kind of freak you out a little bit it does it does because I'm still I mean even though it's really successful uh, you know I'm working on the second series now and you know not too many people have seen it short of publisher and a couple friends and my wife and stuff but I'm I'm scared to the point, you know, like, this is still very new to me. I mean, even though the first book is a success and I, you know, got to put out a really nice hardcover that I'm proud of, I'm six issues in. I was going to say, you're probably <laughs> hoping that you have the next mouse guard. <laughs> <laughs> I do. 
of you. And I know that the sophomore attempt is always, you know, put under more scrutiny than the freshman. Well, I tell you so, what, uh, um, speaking of the freshmen, and, and before we get too much longer, um, can you tell us, uh, just kind of give us the rundown of Mouse Guard Fall 1152 and uh, kind of the Hollywood pitch of it, for those <laughs> who haven't read it? Oh, I hate being the Hollywood pitch guy. Uh, well, if I'm true Hollywood pitch, I'd say it's it's Lord of the Rings meets uh, Beatrix Potter. Because they always like just mashing two styles that don't really belong together together. Green light. <laughs> <laughs> Green light. Sweet. That's good. I actually made. I, I had described it to someone as being Lord of the Rings meets Robin Hood. Oh, well, there's cool. no mice in either one of those. With mice. Oh. Yeah, you got to show the mice. <laughs> With mice. Yeah. <laughs> Disney's Robin. No. Chris O'Donnell's going to be the voice. <laughs> <laughs> he hasn't done anything in a while, but it's okay. He was Robin. No, it's uh, it's about it's about mice, and because mice are pretty low on the food chain, they have to build their cities hidden and spread far apart, so that if if by chance they're penetrated by some predator, the entire uh, the entire colony doesn't get wiped out at once. But what that does is make the the mice kind of prisoners of their own of their own cities and towns. They can't travel as easily or or ship goods or anything like that. So um, the mouse guard is there to be uh, weather watchers, patrol mice, uh, escorts, guides. Uh, they they kind of create the safe paths between cities and towns, figuring out uh, wh- you know where the safer areas are going to be. If there's maybe a log you could travel through or something like that. Uh, so the mice, even though the mice mouse guard has uh, swords and stuff, and they look like warriors, the the main purpose is really to not get into the trouble. Um, kind of like that lesson they always took when you were in elementary about karate, and you were like, oh, I want to do like quick kick on GI Joe. I'm going to be I'm going to learn karate and then. You find out at your first lesson, oh, the, the whole point of karate is to not fight. I want that. The idea is to just stay safe. But um, but if they have to, they can. Uh, one, one of the things, and uh, it, we're all kind of thumbing through our hardcovers here, going, ooh, but... Uh, <laughs> uh, Tom and Scotty are big map nerds, and so they really like the book. They love the map. Yours is pretty good, your map. It's pretty good. <laughs> I, I actually I screwed up a couple times on the map. I could tell. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm you just guys kidding. are map nerds. I didn't work for a master map when I was doing the series. Oh, really? Oh, up. cheater. <laughs> hey, uh, I, uh, on an artistic side, on an artistic note, uh, explain a little bit of your process of approaching a page. Like, did you ink this, like, pencil and ink it traditionally with uh, brush? Did you use pen? Did you... Uh, it it sort of has a, a watercolor feel, but was that Photoshop or or was that digitally to have that sort of feel, or did you actually approach it from a paint standpoint? Give us a little uh, idea of how you approach the art. Sure. Um, well, when I did the black and white book, uh, I was going through Comics Press, and the standard deal with Comics Press is you get a color cover and black and white interiors. Um, so I was using I was doing the standard like pencil a page and then ink it. Uh, approach, except instead of using a, a dip brush and a, like a croquil pen, right. um, I was using rollerball, uh, like uniball pens. Um, the, the ink in them is supposedly it's waterproof, I know, and it's supposedly uh, light fast. Does it have like hey, a pen no tip or a brush tip? What's that? Does it have a brush tip or just a pen tip? No, rollerball. Yeah, it's, it's a, a ball. Rollerball. Mm-hmm. Just a like a ballpoint pen. Really? Yeah. Is that the gel pen? Yeah, wow. I used to work for Sanford, so I can get real geeky now. <laughs> oh, was it the uh, was it the jet stream? Yeah. No. <laughs> it's it's a uniball 
150 Uniball Micron. No, not Micron. Uniball, what's it called? Micro? I don't have one right here next to me either. Uh, Uniball Vision. It's okay. their Vision Five series. Those are nice. Those were always the pot. <laughs> those were the popular Ooh, pins nice at work. Pen. You could never keep the right. pins in your desk. Everyone okay. saw. Okay, okay, oh, okay. you got me talking about pins. Okay. Shut. So yeah, so that's how I did the inks, and then for the for the cover of that Comic Express version, I'm I'm a watercolor painter. That's when I do hand colors. That's what I do. So I did a watercolor cover, but because uh, when I when I finished issue one and was selling it. I was also selling the original art because I was planning on paying for the printing of issue two with right. profits from issue one. Good idea. Not knowing that I would go to San Diego, meet Mark Smiley, and become rich, get a part, <laughs> become <laughs> famous. Uh, it's all the same, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so I sold most of the artwork for issue one. Wow! Somebody's um, happy. Yeah. By the time that, oh yeah, and I was selling them cheap too. <laughs> so I was selling them with the idea that I don't care if I'm losing a little bit of money, I gotta sell all of these. You know, I gotta make it up in volume so that I can pay for this next printing bill. Sure. Stuff was gone by the time Mark said, hey, let's do this in color. Right. So I really didn't have an option but to go digital. Okay. So all I had were scans for the colors. So yeah, I use a, I use a Photoshop 7. Um, I'm, I try to make it look. Um, the goal wasn't to make it look watercolory. The goal was to make it look um, like the color fit the book. Right. Like it, it wasn't um, garish. The colors had a little bit of mute, you know, muting to them, but the colors didn't fight the line work. Right. So um, then people said that it looks watercolory, and and I think once I heard that, I, I might have played it up a little bit more, but. Yeah, I mean, it, it has a slight watercolor feel. I, I like it because it doesn't overly try to mimic it. You have kind of a cool, gritty texture feel going into it without... Because uh, sometimes trying to mimic a certain paint style digitally, it, it's always it's really impossible to make it look just like that. Yeah. But um, yeah. you did a great job of really adding a little grit to it without trying yeah. to emulate something that you couldn't get to. You got some uh, great-looking crabs. Thank you. <laughs> nice crabs. I was going to ask... You. Uh, what led you to the 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 page format that you have with like the size and the dimensions of the page? Because it's not a conventional comic book page, which is probably uh, your biggest stroke of genius. Well, my, thank you. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, Jane Irwin, who does a, a book called Vogeline. Uh, it looks like the word Vogeline with a V, but it's pronounced Fjogeline because uh, it's a German word. She had, she's kind of done the whole like self-publishing route, and so before I was even doing comics, and she was encouraging, saying, "Oh, you got to do comics. Your work really needs to be in comics." Um, because she had gone the whole self-publishing route, she was a, a big fan of doing mini comics. She said mini comics are the way for people who haven't done comics yet to really cut their teeth on on how to do page layouts, how to do panel breakdowns, and get something out there without uh, you know losing their a piggy bank on a printing bill. Uh, so I was thinking about how do I make a mini comic stand out? Because at the Motor City Comic Con that I, I attend locally, uh, at least at the time, everybody was doing mini comics. It was it was the thing to do. So I'm like, boy, I really want to make mine stand out. How am I going to do that? And the idea of using uh, legal paper instead of letter-sized paper at the copy shop came to mind. When you fold that in half, you get something that's close to square. And I thought, oh, that, that would change the panel layouts, too. Like, you'd have this big horizontal space to fill. The more I thought about it, the more I liked the horizontal uh, push. So you do a horizontal panel on a traditional comic-sized page, 
um, it gets lost. There, there's so much space on the page around that shot. And it's usually, you know, a lot of people like to use horizontal panels for establishing shots. And if you're really trying to wow somebody with, you know, here's this landscape or here's this building or this castle or this place, um, it's hard to wow them with a teeny tiny panel on a page. So um, on, on my page format, I can still fill like a third of a page with that establishing shot and keep all the impact I want, really, really put it there, um, and still have it be panoramic. It's, it's not getting fat, or, I mean, uh, tall. You realize you're driving collectors insane, though. <laughs> I was going to ask, you can't, you can't find a bag to you put can't. this damn thing in. <laughs> you're driving Magazine collectors bags. Magazine bags. There you go. Uh, you gotta fold, then you gotta fold it over and double tag. So, I gotta no. get fifty of them. <laughs> I'm just glad you're gonna do. <laughs> the uh, the shop in Flint that I used to uh, Flint, Michigan, that I used to attend when I was a little kid, the place I used to go. It's a different owner now, but that guy, because I'm I'm local talent, and he thinks that that's so cool. Uh, they cut down magazine boards to fit the books, and then just fold over the bags and tape them in back, and. Uh, and everybody who comes in there thinks it's so cool. Like, oh wow, you got custom mouse guard bags. <laughs> <laughs> you mouse should, guard branded. You bags. should TM those, man. Yeah. I think you need yeah. to get on that. You got an empire to run now. You got <laughs> Hi, I'm Ed Brubaker. When I'm not waiting for the trade, I like to listen to a Round Comics podcast. We hear a lot, especially from from indie creators, that if you walk into a comic shop, it's just so hard to get your book to stand out. And the first time I saw Mouse Guard, it it was obviously different than anything else on the on the regular comic shelf. So it it was a a, a great idea. Now are the are the before I met mm-hmm. uh, before I met Mark Smiley and we decided to publish. Uh, there were some people who were asking, and I had paid the Comics Press people uh, basically what cost is for a book. And uh, I was talking to somebody about trying to get this thing out into stores, and I said I've got huge problems trying to get this out in the stores. The cost is only one of my problems. The, the other problem is this can't be bagged. It can't be boarded. It's not going to fit in normal shelves. Uh, you know, store owners are going to go crazy. They're going to hate me. And uh, so even though Mark picked me up, I was thinking this is going to be a problem. It's just not going to be my problem. It's going to be Mark's problem. <laughs> and uh, we only got complaints for about the first week. Well, go Pretty much went away. As long as it sells. <laughs> now, are, are all of the subsequent mouse guards going to be in the same format? Yes. Great. Yep. Uh, it was really cool when I met Mark, too, when uh, I showed him my black and white copy. He uh, he didn't say much. He just looked through it and kind of nodded, and, and he said, so would you want to keep the format the same? And he said it in this ambiguous way, which you don't really know what the right answer is. <laughs> so I just said, yeah. Yeah, I, I like this format. This is what the way I'd want to keep it. And he went, good. Like it was a test or something. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, you passed. <laughs> right there. You would have said no. That's what ended up happening. Like... He passed. You know, that's that's the publisher you want to go with. The one that thinks that your your choices are uh, are wise. Well, going back to the format a little bit. Um, sure. As far as uh, the actual craft of working in that size have you know did you did you run into any challenges or have you learned anything from uh, you know sort of forcing yourself to work into that format that you look back on now and go well maybe you know it it, it would have been different or have you had to change the way maybe you would have done it uh in a different format no 
No, I'm, the more I work with it, the more I like the square format. Um, if, if anything, uh, there are sometimes where I wish that I had um, more room horizontally, where I could still do a nice long horizontal panel, but still have something to the right of it, um, or or the left of it. You know, uh, but that's rare, and and I've I've come up with kind of a standard by breaking the. I usually break my gutters on the, the third one third division of the page um, by playing with those those kind of squares and then you know rotating them clockwise kind of clockwise. I can come up with all kinds of configurations that'll that'll work for for what I want to be saying on the page. Um, so the format hasn't gotten in my way at all. I, I don't find it terribly limiting. Um, it's nice. In fact, it's kind of nice to have those preset uh, panel layouts too. Because uh, even though I can I can play with them and I can I can adjust things, it's nice to have a, a stock set of things I can just kind of look at and scroll down and go. Oh, that looks about right. That would be fun. And uh, yeah, I could put this in this panel, and that'd be great. Yeah, I'll use that. When you uh, when you sort of sat down to to start this project, uh, what were you sort of basing stuff on? I, and I mean more from a uh, creative and artistic standpoint. Um, were you just sort of like, I'm going to do this how I think I want to do it, or were you looking at other sequential art and and was it influenced by anything? You know, were, were you not concerned with what had come before in comics and you were just going to do what you felt was right? Um, from the design standpoint of the characters and, and the way the world looks, I, I was I always felt like when I was a kid and trying to draw comics, back when I thought there's no room in comics for me, it's because I was trying to draw like Jim Lee. And there's only so long that you can force yourself to draw something else, you know. It, inevitably... The, the parts of you that aren't that person are going to show through. And if you don't know your stuff or you're not comfortable with it, it's going to stick out like a sore thumb. And so it's like you can imitate Jim Lee when you're drawing or when you're copying something of a like a Batman issue that he's done. But the minute you try to draw something that he hasn't drawn, it doesn't work. So I figured with the drawings of, of the mice and the design of the world and the way I render things, it has to be 100% what I'm comfortable with. I can't be forcing something. I can't be trying to draw a uh, landscape like Charles Bass. Uh, it has to be David Peterson landscape. So in, in that sense, I just went with what was comfortable um, because I hadn't really done panel-by-panel panel breakdowns before this because um, Moscow is my first, first book. I was coming at it from just being a fan, just saying, okay, I know that there are different styles of storytelling by having read comics so long. So I just thought about who are the people that I like. Um, think about them as directors. And yeah, you might like somebody's drawing, but think about the way they told a story. Like what what panels in a story can stick out in your mind as being uh, good reveals or setups um, or, or kind of like rhythm action shots. And, and I just used that as a catalog. I thought about uh, Mike Miola and Frank Miller uh, were two that, that immediately came out. And every now and then I'll, I'll turn around to my bookcase and think, I want to show like a, a quick uh, like a quick action happening. How would, how would Mike Mignola do that? And I just kind of look through. But I always put the book back on the shelf. It's never trying to, to imitate what Mike does panel-wise. It's just looking at how he would think about it. Or the same with Frank Miller or... or uh, Art Adams or um, Rick Geary, 
of people that I, I admire and look at, and it was it was just about me thinking about the things that they do and then trying to do it the way I feel comfortable so that it's not imitation. It really is um, interpretation and exploration on my part. Well, when you mentioned Jim Lee, the first thing that popped in my head, I was like, I wonder how weird it would have been if all those mice would have had, like, rippling six-packs. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, that. <laughs> like totally ripped like mice. Pocket belts. <laughs> <laughs> pouches. Yeah. Uh, I was sort of and curious. Scott Williams could do the, the huge... Uh, <laughs> a lot of nicks and scratches. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm sort of curious about, uh, you know, starting off with, you know, going through something like Comics Press... In your mind, were you thinking, I'm going to get all these issues out, or did you just sort of go by the very beginning, like an issue-by-issue basis? Did you think, first I'm going to get one done, and if one's successful enough, I can get two done? Or did you... It was definitely that second method. I mean, I had... These characters have been running around in my head for, like you said earlier, about nine years total, almost a decade. So I have a a huge timeline and, and, you know, ideas for stories like a, just a, a bank of them I can go to and, and pull stuff out of. So it's funny, I found the notes that I had for the first for the first issue before I started the first issue, and I tried to cram practically the whole first series into the first issue. <laughs> it was ridiculous. <laughs> or at least the first half of it was, was going to all take place in that first issue. But um, I, once I started working on it, I thought, no, I, I really have to hone this down and make it a, a much smaller chunk. But uh, I made sure that the first issue could could kind of stand alone. So if it was the last thing I did, okay, no big deal. Um, knowing where the rest of it would go if I got the chance to do number two and number three and number four. But yeah, it was it was very much touch and go with the with the beginning, and then because that's how I had worked on the the space between issue one and issue two, even though I had a contract with Arcade to do all six. Um, I didn't get a whole lot of time to think about, uh, like, to plot out specifically panel layouts or dialogue for issue five when I was still working on issue two. I just knew that in issue five it was the villain issue, and and you know uh, we were going to learn more about the villain and learn how the villain got to be in the power that he is, and that was pretty much issue five. And uh, and for right now, I need to worry about issue two because that's the one I'm drawing. Um. As far as your next go-round, now that you've seen... Uh, I know a lot of discussion in the in comic book industry is single issues versus trades. Um, <coughs> now that you've seen the, your hardcover kind of explode in the commercial world so much, or uh, so big, has that given you any thought to just uh, to abandoning the single issues and just doing graphic novels from here on out? There's a very slight temptation, but it's, it's not one that I'm going to fall fall for. <laughs> um, for one, the, the single issues were profitable. I mean, they, they made sense, and it also meant that I got a paycheck throughout the year, right. which was also a part of me being able to quit my job, because we knew that we were going to be able to make, we knew that the hardcover was going to do well enough I would be able to quit my job. We kind of had that sense as we were going, but we didn't have that money yet, so I had to keep working. I had to get health insurance. Right. Uh, we, have, we have a mortgage and a dog, and you know, that's that's important stuff. So, um, so the, the breakdown of how the profit comes in uh, certainly helps with the, the single issues. But also, just from an artistic standpoint, um, I love old radio shows, and I love 
uh, the way like the Star Wars trilogy was broken up, uh, or even now the six movies were broken up into episodes. Mm-hmm. That there is that cliffhanger. I, I when I get around to drawing like page twenty three of an issue, the the voice, the radio voice starts coming in my head that says like, you know, "Tune in next time to find out if our heroes escape." Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I like the episodic quality of having them come out as single issues. Mm-hmm. I, I found with the series. Each time a new issue came out, I went back and I read all of the previous ones. So you should pay him, yeah, <laughs> for each time you <laughs> read them. Each time I read it, <laughs> yeah, because I I, I I I really enjoyed the serialized feel of it. So uh, and I and I felt so like okay, I need to go back and read these. I, I noticed in the in the hardcover that uh, that you ha- made a special point of thanking Guy Davis, who also did uh, a couple pinups. Um, yeah. What's what's the story there? Because I'm uh, personally a big fan of Guy Davis's art. Guy Davis does beautiful work. He, um, Guy Davis, before I, I was still working the antique job, um, it was before I started Mouse Guard, I had done a, a sculpture of the Tin Man from The Wizard of Oz. And I had started working on it for myself. I had planned on doing some of the other Oz characters. By the time I got that first sculpture done, I was like, ah, I'm so tired of looking at this thing. I put it on eBay, and the winning bidder was uh, G. Davis. <laughs> <laughs> and I knew where Guy lives. He lives here in Michigan. And it said, you know, you know, ship the item to the winning bidder at, you know, and it said the city in Michigan. And I thought, that can't be Guy Davis. He was a fan of BPRD. I love his work on BPRD. Sure. So I emailed him and said, you know, is there any chance that you're, you're Guy Davis? And he said, you know, in fact, I am. So I was like, oh, wow, I'm a huge Hellboy fan, love BPRD. And it turned out uh, my wife's sister lives in the town adjacent to his, and we were going out there that weekend for a birthday. I said, well, would you mind? We, you know, we can leave PayPal out of this, and uh, I can drop off the piece if you just want to pay in cash. And he said, sure. So he had me over to the house. I spent about two hours. He showed me the he showed me the studios and uh, let me look at some unfinished pages, some things he was working on, and I left with a stack of his comics, too. He said, here, what, what, what don't you have? Well, we'll set you up with stuff. Do you give him good feedback? No, here you go. <laughs> eBay bringing people yeah. closer together. You gave him good feedback, <laughs> right? <laughs> Usually eBay is the, if somebody telling an eBay story, it's the, this is how I got burned or this yeah. pissed me off kind of story. <laughs> Instead, that's technically how I met Guy Davis. And then because he does the Motor City Con, um, I, I see him almost twice, the, at least twice a year uh, at that show. And we get together for dinner afterwards and stuff. He was, uh, he was a big supporter of Mouse Guard before it was anything, and uh, offered me even. He said, "I've signed a lot of bad contracts in my life, so when Arte gets you a contract, if you want me to look it over, uh, I can see a good contract or a bad contract from a mile away because I've I've signed so many of them." <laughs> and he looked it over and said, "No, it was a good contract. Go for it." So Great. he was a a good supporter, a good friend, and then he offered to do those pinups, and it was like, "Wow, this is incredible." I admire this guy's work so much. Well, going back to uh, to, to the book uh, a little bit, I wanted to ask you about, uh, you released it on a, 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 every two months there was a new issue coming out. Is that uh, how you're going to continue to release the future issues? And secondly, in regards to that, do you, f- do you think that that really helped you sort of uh, with the initial run? Because I know, Scotty, you've talked a little bit before about how when you're on a monthly schedule with a book, it, it doesn't give you a lot of time to breathe or 
you know, to really maybe flex some creative muscles with stuff. I mean, you're on such a, a time crunch sometimes. Right. So I was wondering, you know, did did that extra two months or that extra month really help you with the with uh, putting out each issue as, as as best you could? Well, it's really necessary for me because I'm doing um, I'm doing the plotting, I'm doing the penciling, the inking, the coloring, uh, any digital scanning, you know, getting the page actually into the computer, and then the coloring, and then the typesetting. Uh, basically, I ship it off to to the printer ready to be printed. So um, I need those two months just to be able to do what I do. But uh, that's kind of Arkea's uh, format anyways, every two months. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's nice. I think it's a nice pause for for even as a reader. It gives you a break. And and so that that is how you're going to be releasing the next yeah. the next series. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I in fact now. Um, you know, when it, when it first started, when Moscow first started, uh, it was a little easier going because the I didn't have to worry about contradicting myself at all, really, as I went through. The first story was so cut and dry in my head of, you know, this happens and this happens. Um, now I'm having to worry about, like, I had to make that map. For, for the hardcover extras. We love maps. Part, partly because it was cool to do, but also because like I have to get this straight. I can't start referring to cities that are in different locations or or um, talking about coastlines or things. You know, talking about a city that's up next to a coastline and pretending that it's not. So um, it's stuff like that. I, it it makes what I'm doing go a little slower, making sure that I'm keeping the level up, making sure that um, everything's kosher and and it's pushing the story forward and reinforcing what I've already done. Well, talking about the book itself and the actual story, um, one of the things that I think a lot of people have talked about with it is, is sort of this very rich uh, universe or world that you've created, the, the, the mythology and the history that you've been able to convey uh, with these characters and you know the, the, the legacies that have come before them. Uh, obviously, you, know, you had said that you had worked, been working on this for about a decade, um, and one of my favorite parts of the book is in the beginning of each cha- uh, each chapter, you are you have a little quote from someone in you know the, the universe uh, in, in the history of these characters about the guard. Was that your? Um, I mean, did you do that on purpose to try and expand the the history of this of, of these characters and have the guard? Yeah, I mean, the information that I'm putting in there is stuff, but. Uh, Sometimes, like, there's the one about the, uh, there's the one that's an excerpt from the Weather Watcher's Guide. Um, and mainly it was, I was trying to set a tone, and I thought, how am I going to set this tone? I haven't really set it in the dialogue. Um, I could actually write it out in the, in the, you know, the inside book cover that, that's just more information. I, I always think of that as kind of my opening crawl for Star Wars, uh, to, to get you caught up with what happened last time and set up the beginning of this issue. But, you know, I could I could say like mice have to watch out for weather, and, and just say it really boring. But it was like, wouldn't it be better to set it as a tone from their perspective? Um, so it's always just something that I have in mind about what needs to happen for that issue, tone wise, um, to really set it up to get you in the right mindset. And uh, the idea of bringing it to you from their perspective, and if it enriches the the backstory. Uh, makes it more believable. That's just a bonus. 
Well, I think what you you've maybe you know incidentally done with it is that it allows you now to go off in any direction you really want with the with with these characters and others and and I mean you you may mention a character once in in one of these things and you know three years from now you may write an entire story about that character. I mean, oh, right. you've just created so many stepping points to to be able to go and and uh, I think that's just great. It gives you so much flexibility uh, in the storytelling. And because I I do plan on going back in the mouse guard history uh, in some of the future series, even if a character dies, um, that character's not necessarily done in terms of reading about. Because I can go back and show when that character was young. Sure. In fact, I plan on it. Ooh. Whoa. 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 Don't go crazy, Marvel guy. <laughs> um, Pre-order. <laughs> uh, on the on the on the other side of that, uh, with the flexibility that that the the entire world has given you to write within within Mouse Guard, do you feel um, maybe boxed in that now you're the Mouse Guard guy? Do you have any other projects that you'd <laughs> like to do that you know it's like people are going to be oh it's David Peterson but it's it's not Mouse Guard so I'm not interested. Did um, no, I I mean I think I've been getting. I've been getting some offers from from different publishers to do some some cool, fun, small projects. Um, they're not they're not animal based, so that's not a that's not a problem. But I I do think that it it could get that way where <laughs> people just expect me to either do just mouse guard or um, like instead of if DC approached me to do some small project or something that most people would think oh he's just going to mouseify. DC Universe or something like that. No, why on earth would I do that? DC <laughs> wouldn't want me to do that, and I certainly wouldn't. So, yeah, I mean, I've got other stuff. Um, there was a publisher that came to me and said, let's think about characters in our universe that have swords that you could do. Well, you know, you th- I don't just draw swords. <laughs> <laughs> have you thought about cats with knives? <laughs> Machine ninja, guns. Ninja cats. Ninja turtles. Nin- ninja gerbils. <laughs> we don't want to get too far off base, folks. <laughs> gerbils. Yeah, gerbils. They have to be furry. <laughs> so I, I Actually, I have another uh, creator on property that the plan right now is I have about five arcs of Mouse Guard plotted out total. Um, and that fifth one won't be the end. It's it's just what I've got so far in terms of concrete, you know, like I know what happens. Um, I've got some directions I can go after that, but, but nothing, nothing written down solid yet. So um, I'm thinking that by then that's going to be a really nice place to take a breather and I'll start this other book that I've got planned, which uh, would be drawn differently and it's more about folklore with uh, fairies and brownies and gnomes and uh, like Elf and the Shoemaker elves as opposed to Tolkien elves. Um, that kind of thing. Josh Middleton's going to want to fight you. <laughs> oh, yeah? Whatever, bring it on. Step up. No, no, that's me getting scared. I don't want to fight you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. You should, uh, uh, he's a really big fantasy fan as well. Uh well, I know when I talked to him uh, that time when when I was too scared to talk to Scotty, uh, <laughs> the uh, I was standing at his table and I he was signing left and right things that had to do with Superman or Shazam, right? Um, or he'd done some basketball 
licensing <laughs> stuff or Le- something? Le- LeBron James. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't even the, know. I don't even know what it is. That's how out of the loop I am in that kind of world. <laughs> you don't. Nobody knows what it is, brother. <laughs> yeah. So, but there were people at the show who did because they were having him autograph this stuff. Yeah. And I got up to him and I just said, you know, I'm familiar with your work from Sky Between Branches, and his jaw dropped. <laughs> He was expecting me to come to him from the from the Shazam perspective or right. or NYX or something, and he was like, "Really, you saw that?" <laughs> like, "Yeah, I, I thought it out. I was hoping that you're going to do more of it." And he said, "Yeah, I got to do this superhero stuff to pay the bills so that I can get to that fantasy stuff. I'd love to just do fantasy all the time." Yeah, cool. So I'll, I'll tell where you you guys can meet in the street high noon. <laughs> well, I don't want to fight him. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Take it At easy. At the end, uh, you become fast friends yes. and work together. <laughs> That's the way comic books work. Yes. There's yeah, a misunderstanding. You guys would take over DC. <laughs> with, yeah, uh, I want to get a pinup from him. I don't want to fight him. Uh, there you go. Ah. I want a con sketch. <laughs> Uh, well, I have a couple of nerdy, kind of geeky questions about the book, uh, just for my, right. my own satisfaction. One, uh, the different uh, mouse uh, guards. What type of sword? <laughs> no. <laughs> what, yeah, what type of swords are you? No. The, the different, well, this is not much better than that, but <laughs> the, the different uh, capes that the, the <laughs> mice oh, yeah, I know, this is a really nerdy question. Me. Well, it was just that the, they, they, wear, they, seem, they have different colored capes. The nylon. And they're never really... You know, you never mention or anything, but I was just sort of wondering: is there any significance to the different color, uh, other than obvi- I think you obviously were using it to try and distinguish the different characters? But is there anything else beyond that? Well, initially, uh, I think I am going to do like a, a revisionist, uh, or not revisionist. What's that called? John Byrne was famous for it, where you go back and retcon, retcon it. I do plan on probably bringing in some retcon significance, but. Initially, Sell out. the significance was, just from my perspective of character design, that you have Saxon, who is the hothead. He is aggression. He's aggression to the point of throwing caution to the wind. He has no caution. He is red. He's, he's red-faced. He's red-hot-tempered. That's he's the cloak red. he wears. He, is, he personifies the color red. Um, Kenzie is calm and regal and steadfast. He's blue. It's that kind of a thing. Uh, Liam was green initially, partly. He, his was one of the ones because it was like, ooh, that, that looks nice with his fur. The other part was he's he's the newbie of the group. In fact, I am going to eventually tell the story of when he uh, he joins the Mouse Guard. But he's he's one of the newer members. Uh, so he's green. He's still young. He's green. Well, my, my second kind of nerdy question was... Uh, in regards to Liam, um, I'm, I'm a I've always been a really big fan of, of the Three Musketeers. Yeah. Um, and Liam reminds me of sort of a D'Artagnan-like character that eventually will become one of the you know legendary Mouse Guard. Uh, is that I mean it, it, the way the book ended? That's sort of the feel I got from it. Is, is that something? Uh, that's exactly it. Okay. That's, that's exactly it. Um, Liam originally, when I first had started this, um, and it was part of a much bigger project. The three main characters were Saxon, Kenzie, and Rand, who you see in, in the book, but he's, um, he's got a leg injury that prevents him from really um, going out on patrol. And the idea was that Saxon was the aggression, Saxon was the offense, uh, Rand with the shield was the defense, and Kenzie was the brains, Kenzie was the smarts. And that kind of, as, as the trio, they acted as one. Um, and at some point, there's 
something about the personality of Rand wasn't gelling. Um, and a friend of mine that I based Liam on was having a birthday, so I wrote a really quick one-page short story for him about Liam. Uh, and, and kind of saying, by the way, you're getting a mouse in Mouse Guard. And he was really excited about it. But Liam kind of replaced Rand uh, in a weird way in my head where he made more sense personality-wise with the group, um, with the character designs. I liked him better in that role. Um, so he was he was going to be in it, but he wasn't a huge deal. And after this first series got going, uh, I realized he has a very significant role Overall, I mean, uh, I always kind of thought of uh, either the trio being the main character or uh, Saxon and Kenzie being the main characters. And now uh, it's very clear that Liam, if, if there is a standout, who's going to have the most stuff happen to him or the most important stuff or, or be the most vital, it's Liam. Sure. Yeah, you even talk about that a little bit in the uh, the epilogue, which was yep. uh, that was a that was a uh, only available in the hardcover, correct? The correct. Uh, I do stuff. plan on uh, putting that up either on the Arkea website or the Mouseguard website. Uh, I never want to make people feel like I'm milking them and forcing them to buy the hardcover to get the story. Uh, make them buy it. It's nice. I mean, I think <laughs> I I really like the hardcover. I like the other extras. The, the you could probably get a Turner variant. Like I think it just has a nice heft to it, the book, mm -hmm. uh, the end papers with the maps. I think it's a really nice object. Do you, we do tried you to make sure that the object was nice. So I would, you know, certainly go out, buy Mouse Guard, hardcover, 192 pages, available at Borders and your local comic shops. <laughs> but, uh, but somebody who, who stood with me and bought all six issues and made it into the comic shop every two months, hey, I don't want to force them to do something they don't want to do. Hi, I'm Jamie McAlvey. I hate Karen Gillan, and I want him to die. And you're listening to Orion Comics. I got a ton more questions, but we'll just have to have you back sometime to so I can ask you more geeky questions about Mike. That works for me. All right, awesome. What's the fur density? <laughs> What's the density of the fur of the red one? What's the dew point at which mouse get wet? Yeah. What uh, type of crab was no? Do uh, they like cheese? <laughs> All right, well, David, we uh, uh, warn our forum members every week who we're going to have on, and it gives them a chance to leave uh, some questions for our guests. And we'll start out with a question from Chip. He says, uh, how do you think the crossover appeal of this book has affected its success? Are we going to see an animated series and some Mouse Guard McDonald's toys? <laughs> um I think that the crossover appeal has has really shown through when you when you look at the numbers and uh, being me sitting at the convention and seeing the people who are coming up, it's it's all sorts of people. And one of my favorite stories is the guy who brings the comic guy who brings his girlfriend, wife, fiance, um, and and says something like, "My my wife slash girlfriend slash fiance, whatever, uh, won't go near a comic store. Uh, she parks around the corner and drops me off." and I have to call her when I'm leaving the shop. But she reads Mouse Guard. And that's that's the kind of crossover appeal that you want. It's he reads it, too, though. <laughs> he reads it, too, and he's like, oh, yeah, my girlfriend likes it. You know, yep. They like it, too. That's, <laughs> I, I love that, because I've been the guy trying to get the girl to go to the comic shop and trying to get the com I'm trying to get my wife to, to read more comics. Um, and it's hard. It's a hard... It's a hard battle. There's a there's a weird resistance where they see 
they see something comic-y about it, and they go, nope, not for me. Sure. Well, would um, you like to would you like to see Mouse Guard adapted as an animated? Would would that appeal to you? We are actually talking to some producers about doing a feature film. Hey, oh, yeah. hey. So okay. yeah, and then uh, you know, I don't love the idea of McDonald's toys. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've always felt like any merchandise uh, that would come out of Mouse Guard would would really kind of mesh with my sensibilities in terms of you know like how the book is and how the hardcover is. It's a, it's a nice quality object that that echoes what the book is. Um, the idea of McDonald's toys doesn't doesn't feel that way to me. Uh, nothing against McDonald's and nothing against little kid toys, but I think that would end up coming down into a meeting. Uh, about marketing for a movie. So, how about uh, this? At that point, yet yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Tom's got a, a line of high-quality children's costumes. <laughs> that With actually, you know, I loved Halloween as a kid. I can remember going to the um, the sewing shop or like the fabric store with my mom and going through the McCalls and Simplicity patterns. Um, and and it was you know you'd buy the pattern for the costume, and then your mom would make it. Your mom would sew it up. So that's a um, yes. Someone should do that. that Someone should make a pattern. Really for cool. uh, was there a conscious effort to keep the mice from looking too "quote unquote" cute? Um, in in some regard, uh, but there was a more conscious choice to not make them look too badass. Um, to really? not give them muscles. Yeah. Not make them <laughs> Jim uh, Lee six packs. Too upright, you know. I I wanted to make sure that they looked vulnerable. That was from Captain Smash. Um, Scotty? <laughs> I felt silly saying that. All right, uh, David, this one is from Redgun86. The 86 is important. Uh, have you thought about a novel adaption? I feel that a story such as this could be a great read just as a book. Um, I, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like that that territory um, has already been, been pretty well covered by the, the author Brian Jakes, who did the Redwall series. Um, I mean, there, there are differences in our worlds anyhow, so a, a Mouse Guard novel would be different than the Redwall books, but um, I'm, I'm an artist, so that's that, those are the terms I think of. I, I think of graphics and, uh, and the way something would look rather than the way something reads. Um, I, I guess I wouldn't, I wouldn't shut the door on it. I wouldn't be completely opposed to it. I hadn't really thought about it. Okay. Next question is from Chris S. He said, uh, even though Mr. Peterson made my daughter cry, getting the hardcover edition of Mouse Guard personalized to my kids was one of the highlights of our Wizard World Philly trip. Who's intimidating now? Yeah, you're scaring the little kids. Uh, it, was, it was a special series for us before, so this copy will be cherished. Thanks for creating something that gives dad and kids some special bonding time and creates a great world for them to play in, even if Kenzie's not a girl. Oh, I felt so bad. <laughs> I felt so bad when that little girl walked away from the table. There was no consoling her. Um, in fact, later on, I did an interview at the show where somebody said, what's your worst convention? You know, what's the worst thing that's ever happened to you at a convention? I said, well, I just made a little girl. Uh, I just made a little girl cry. Was <laughs> <laughs> she thought the character was a girl? Yeah, her dad told me that she had been uh, running around pretending that she was Kenzie for the last couple weeks and that she just loves Mouse Guard. And I was happy to sign their books, and after I'm done signing their books, the, the dad says, and she has a question for you. And it's one of those little girls who's hiding inside Daddy's leg. You know, she's got her face pushed up against him so tight, you can't even see her. And she just barely squeaked an eye out, and then he, he asked the question for me, which was, is Kenzie a boy mouse or a girl mouse? 
And I said, he's a boy. <laughs> and, oh, that's when I got to see the rest of her face. And it just melted into the most unhappy little kid face. <laughs> oh. It started coming, and it was like, oh, no. I tried to console her with, well, Sadie's a girl. Sadie's really cool, and she's a girl. People like Sadie. She's like, Sadie's bullshit. All over. She was emotionally dead to the world. <laughs> Can, oh. can Kenzie ma- well I won't <laughs> no, not- no 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 my wife <laughs> you even said to- like, maybe you should have just told her he was just uh, lie you because know, then when she finds out he's not that's not going to be good you know that has to be taking little kids to a convention has to be a rough experience anyways and then walking around a convention with a kid that is un- inconsolable and, and that upset uh that's got to be tough. So, well, sorry, uh, sorry to the dad, and definitely sorry to the little girl. Uh, Kenzie's still a very cool character, <laughs> even though he's a boy. Still, still pretend to be Kenzie. Well, appa- apparently, uh, apparently, her dad is a listener to the show and wanted to pass along uh, what uh, what that meant to get that sign. So, all right, uh, last question or questions here are from uh, our buddy Dan C up in Minneapolis. Yes, did you approach the story with an eventual definitive ending in mind, or uh, did you want this to be an ever-growing world that can that you can revisit whenever the spirit moves you? An ever ever uh, never-ending, ever-growing type series. Um, I'm going to make sure that when I when I lay out timelines, I leave some gaps so that I can always kind of revisit time periods and tell lost stories if I ever want to. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have a definitive end for, uh, or kind of like a, and that's how they spent the rest of their days for the main characters in this arc. I, I know how Saxon lives out the rest of his life. I know how, same for Kenzie and Liam. Um, but I figure by that point there'll be a, a generation, a new generation. So what was more fun, the research and creation of this world-slash-society, uh, or after it was built and you could have your characters running around creating stories within that world? Um, I think creating has a huge appeal. Uh, I'm a I'm a fan of architecture. I'm a fan of finding out um, uh, historically how people did things. Uh, when you think about things like uh, food preparation or or um, carpentry, you know, nowadays I've I've built things with my dad, and and we use table saws and nail guns and stuff like that. But what happens when you don't have those? How do you get a big long piece of timber that's square? if you don't have a, a, a mechanical saw. Um, stuff like that is fascinating to me, how, how people, you know, it really is back when necessity was the mother of invention. You need a big, long beam, this is how you do it. You know, we're, we're just going to bust our butts to make it that way. And, and all those little tricks and techniques, um, I think, are, are fascinating. So whether it's glass blowing or, or carpentry or, or food or even, uh, like, medieval medicine, researching that stuff and then figuring out how to make it mouse-sized or, or uh, you know, so it fits into their world and then deciding, oh, this city is going to be more like a, a Tudor-style architecture. This stuff, this place is going to be more uh, straight-up fantasy, like like Brian um, uh, uh, Froud would draw or something like that. That's, uh, that's actually more fun than, because then after that it's time to go to work. you got to actually do the, do the story. All right, uh, finally, from last uh, question from Dan C. is, uh, what hopes and plans do you have to take this story into other mediums? I know getting them into schools and libraries is a great step, but after that, would, what would be the next step for the series in your mind? Uh, well, for, for me, my, my focus is always going to be about making the comics and then 
collecting them in hardcovers. Um, and whoever we can get to read them is great. Um, but as a role-playing game fan uh, and a board game fan, that's something that we're investigating. I mentioned the idea of the movies. Do you like to play Risk? I do like to play Risk. Oh, let's play sometime. I find it very hard to find people who like to play Risk. I'm right there. I'm risk. right there with you, brother. Nobody will play with me. Everybody's oh, like, we're still right? getting online yeah. and playing Risk. Well, let's play right. some Risk. Yeah, I will You'll whip say you something up. like, "Hey, let's play Risk," and it's like you just said, "Hey, let's go shoot babies." You know what kind of risk Everybody's I have like, at home? Ooh, why would you do that? Why are you talking about shooting babies, dude? You're scaring me. <laughs> <laughs> I have a... Uh, He's intimidated yeah, to boom now. Yeah. <laughs> God, <laughs> kid, God damn, making kids cry. I just pissed myself. <laughs> hey, uh, I actually have Lord of the Rings risk. You nerd. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you see, he, Sal calls me a nerd, but David's <laughs> like, no way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you have Lord of the Rings risk? I gotta, I'm gonna have to get it now. <laughs> All right, David. Risk is on. A total of once. What's that? Was, that was the only time I could actually get enough people together who agreed to play it with me. Well, you don't live that far away. We're gonna get your ass to drive here, and we're gonna have a risk fest. Right on. That's uh, what. What is the next uh, convention that you have lined up? San Diego. Uh, you and every. See, you shouldn't go there. Everybody goes there. You'll get lost in the crowd. <laughs> Everybody goes there. <laughs> Yeah, you don't want to, like, sell Mouse Guard to an animation studio or a movie house, anything like that. You don't want to go to San You want to come to Chicago and play Risk with us <laughs> yeah. instead. You know, actually, one of my favorite parts of going to conventions, uh, it, you know, it's, it's really cool to meet the fans and everything. But when I get back and people say, how was it? What I start telling them about was what I ate for dinner and, and who I hung out with afterwards and stuff like that. And in San Diego, San Diego is one of the times where I only get to see there are certain people that are... I consider friends. I mean, they're, they're close friends, and I only get to see them once a year at San Diego. Um, but yeah, so Chicago can be that too, where uh, where we get together and play Risk. There you go. That Sweet. sounds great. Well, uh, the uh, the hardcover for Mouse Guard Fall of eleven fifty two is in uh, finer comic shops and book retailers as we speak. And uh, winter eleven fifty two is due to hit comic shops when? Uh, in July. Buy them as gifts. Okay. Yes. What's that? Buy them as gifts for children or That's old people. Right. <laughs> or old. Just don't, just don't uh, bring them to me with gender questions. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Non-gender specific. <laughs> or, or whenever you ask the question, you ask it as, "Is Kenzie a girl?" Wink, wink. <laughs> and and yeah, not because I hate asking. Or I, I actually love talking to kids about the book, but I hate making kids cry. <laughs> sure. I love it. <laughs> Trust me, I do. I've got three nieces. It's terrible. Well, Thank you. David, uh, continued success in 2007 and beyond, and we're all really looking forward to the next Mouse Guard story and uh, and then hopefully uh, spring of 1153. <laughs> and your game. Yes. That's right. <laughs> all right. Well, David, thank you so much, and you have a, a wonderful rest of your night. Thank you. You guys, too. All right. Bye-bye. 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 And we'd like to thank David Peterson for spending part of his evening with us and uh, and for making such a great book. Yeah. You know, it, it's, uh, it really did capture the comics world by storm. It uh, Everyone loves it. Old people, young people, middle-aged people, blind people. My dog <laughs> Like hearing it. about it. <laughs> There's, one, there's obviously one girl in Philly who did like it. 
until David made her crushed cry. her soul. Yeah. Kenzie's a boy. It's Check hard to you. tell. They don't have any genitalia. <laughs> <laughs> Sal looked. Yeah, I he checked. I That's why he was so interested in the capes. Why is there no peepees? <laughs> I can these see not one hint of genitals on any of these creatures. How but unusual. It's a, it, it really is. I mean, it, it harkens back to some really classic fantasy sort of tales. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just has that mythology, and the artwork's beautiful on it, and, and it does, um, while it really sort of harkens back to the best um, sort of children's stories and, and books from when you're a kid, it, it offers more than that in the story, and, and I think, you know, it, it bridges that gap between, you know, a kid's book and something adults can it, it's certainly I, I don't call it a kid's book. I call, right. it, I call it kid appropriate. Yeah, absolutely. It, 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 I, I don't see it. <laughs> That's you know, your nickname. Kid appropriate, <laughs> MC kid appropriate. Kid, Chris kid appropriate Neesman. <laughs> hey, somebody has to be kid Bring appropriate on the show. Taste it a little bit. Kid appropriate. Uh, kid appropriate. <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see where he goes with the series, and I think we have a lot to see from it still. I mean, Absolutely. it just you know is a very rich world, and and uh, congratulations to him on all the success. Yeah, well, I, I can't I can't wait for uh, for the uh, sequel to come out uh, next month. Uh, next month. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. no, August wasn't it? July. August, July. Was it July? Yeah. Oh, all right. Well, there you go. Just so, in time. looking forward to that. All right. Uh, Want to remind folks that there are a few ways that you can interact with the show. One of them is our listener hotline. Sal. One eight 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 six five G cast. Give us a call. Leave us a voicemail. Remember to put in the. Uh, all the numbers and crap. You can see it on our website. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what they all are. It's to how much you like us or hate <laughs> it's, us. It's, I guess. It's, how strong do you feel? It is a little effort uh, involved in, in leaving us a voicemail. But and that's, why, that's why we reward them by planning on the show. That's <laughs> reward them. <laughs> Here's yeah. your reward. You, you, you punched 8,000 digits into a phone. I think it's phone. appropriate because we do this show to listen to ourselves. <laughs> so why should we reward the listeners with the chance to listen to their own voices? There you go. Exactly. Everybody likes to hear their own voice. Uh, yes. But we always like getting a uh, listener email. There's a couple ways you can do that. You can just uh, email uh, info at aroundcomics.com, uh-huh. or you can email any of the three of us personally at either Chris, Tom, or Sal at aroundcomics.com. Still no Scotty at around Someone emailed me. Email me? You shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Someone emailed me a, a Photoshop they did of um, Captain America and Easy e That was <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Chris from Florida. So Sweet. thank you. Uh, that that really made my day. Very nice. And I wanted to say, uh, uh, give a shout out Uh-oh. to uh, to Big Big Wednesday. He knows Win- he knows why. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to divulge the secret identity of Big of Wednesday, the, of Big Wednesday, the superhero, but nice. he knows why. There you go. Hey, you. Um, sure um, speaking of uh, uh, forum members and listeners and all that, you met Braxton down in uh, North Carolina. Yes. And um, who Braxton. <laughs> uh, you met Braxton. Gosh, who else? Who was who was and Braxton? Braxton's wife. And Braxton's wife. Yes. And who else? Braxton, move over. And oh. Braxton's girlfriend. No, who was? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh. Who was wearing the the flash shirt with um, Braxton? Oh, I forgot. Oh, he's gonna hate me because I. Uh, he's on the forum. Well, his name's some. I don't know. Obviously, it's not his name. I don't think it's his real name on the forum. Really nice. Uh, actually, there's a lot of people that came by that listened to your show. So. Uh, oh, unfortunate for them. Yeah. <laughs> little, a couple of them cried, but uh, Braxton hung out for a little while. His wife hung out longer. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Oh, I'm kidding, Braxton. Whoa, whoa, now, Mister, that's crossing the line. I, don't I wonder know. how much he paid for her. 
He's huge. You watch. You better watch out, though. He could probably. Um, Braxton is. Yeah, he's, he's a big dude. Huge fucking diesel. Really? No, I'm kidding. Uh, Ari, I think it was Ari. Ari Scoop with the goop. Okay. had the uh, the flash yeah. shirt that the, yes. yeah. that you Beeble borped. Or yeah. Yeah. No, actually, no, it was Josh. Yeah, Josh and I gave him the official origin of what happened to <laughs> to blow our minds and have us. Uh, was, I don't even think I've heard that story. It was. Literally just a fan uh, comes up, and sometimes there was one fan who got really uh, very excited, yeah, insane yeah. about what he was talking about, and uh, uh, kind of combining words and not taking pauses, and <laughs> and it almost makes it sound like as if he was like, and then and then the story, and then Wolverine said, and then uh, the baby board, <laughs> you know, like was, it just sounds like a bunch of tones right <laughs> coming together, and then so it kind of made us laugh, like what is this guy doing? <laughs> Uh, and then so we would start doing, you know, if anybody Beeble got a little things. too long-winded, we'd be like, yeah, that's good. <laughs> nice. Way to well, alienate your fans. We, we, we love them. We <laughs> did get they some love it. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead, Chris. All right, we did get some uh, emails this week. Uh, starting off one from Chris Hughes. Uh, <clears throat> hey, guys, love the show. I've been listening for a couple of months now, and I always get a kick out of your reviews, recommendations, and so forth. One question, I'm sure you get this one fairly frequently, but I don't see any info about it on your website. What's oh, the crap. big band theme song that you open the show with? I'd like to hear the entire thing, but I have no idea how to find it without a title and we an artist. We wrote it, and we have a live band perform it in the store <laughs> every, every episode. And they're amazingly consistent. You cannot tell De- that any they're deviations. Doing it live. Yeah. Who is it uh, really? Actually, I don't. I don't know. Um, and we, oh, uh, the wow. name of the, it's from a movie from like a bad movie from like the '60s or '70s mm-hmm. called The Hellraisers. Um, but the song has been used in a couple of different things. I can't remember who it is. I, I will dig up. Do the, we owe them money? I think they're all dead, so I don't think <laughs> it matters. So one living member. Um, I will dig it up. I'll find it. I'll find out where you can. I, I got it off a website. I was just on like this weird website, and he had all these weird like wave files and stuff. And I happened to hear it. I'm like, oh, that would make a cool intro. So it was just something I picked up on a website. But there is a bit of a history to it. I don't think you're going to be able to find it anywhere. I tried finding like an actual album where it existed or anything like that, and I couldn't find. The only thing I could find was like some website in England had like some old LP of it. Some you know, but it was really expensive. Oh. And it's very rare. Don't so trust it. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know that you'll find it anywhere, but I will find out the name of it and everything, and, and send that to you. All right, our next email uh, is from Gavin Smith. He said, uh, "Now that you guys have killed off Suntress, how would you bring him back? We clone him. Clone would be a uh, slore. Clone slore. Slore. Clone Clone of Thor and Suntress." With robot, I think uh, he's a skull, a skull, scrawl. I think the 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 Suntress we killed was actually a scrawl. The real Suntress, uh, if you listen trapped. carefully, there's clues in episodes when <laughs> the real Suntress left and the fake Suntress took, took over. over. Listen carefully. Uh huh. Listen very carefully. All right. Uh, next email says, uh, "Sorry, I'm a little behind in my listening, guys, but I had to write in to applaud Tom and the gang." Well, thank you for well, the so JSA 101 episode. The Tom's I mean, fine. 
the, okay. the, just Tom, just yeah. applaud Tom. We had nothing. To do. Says I'm a huge DC geek, and like Tom, I feel the current run on JSA and JLA is being written specifically for me. It can't is. be. It's already being written for me. <laughs> they are definitely gearing those books to longtime readers. I hope that your episode will encourage more fans to fall in love with all the rich DC history. One thing that you didn't discuss was how the team of all of the young all stars was created to be the historical replacements for Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman, being uh, Iron yeah. Monroe, Flying Fox, and Fury. After that book sucked. <laughs> after, oh! after the crisis, of course, they all got uh, editorially screwed up as they kept rewriting the history. But it is interesting that Iron Monroe just made an appearance in something I just read recently. Anyway, keep up the great work. I love the perfect balance of humor and professionalism. Yeah, believe me, it's hard to toe that line. Since I don't have too many friends who still read comics, it's great to have some virtual friends like you who have really gotten me excited about comics again. I was lucky enough to meet you all in NYC and may be making the trip out to Chicago in July, so I hope to stop by Dark Tower what, one Friday. What happened to all his friends? He makes them sound like... He they all put the lotion in the <laughs> basket. <laughs> <laughs> they died having all his friends, man. Wow, he's that joke to is going to be so lost on people. <laughs> he's going to come. He's going to come collect us. Oh, nice. but that's that's from uh, Dave in New Jersey. So, Dave, do you? I we met a lot of people in. Uh, in I, I honestly York, don't so. remember. Yeah, I, I I don't know. Uh, what were you wearing, Dave? Tell Dave, me. what were you now? Wearing? Who's scary? <laughs> What are you wearing now? What are you wearing? wearing? It puts the but lotion on his skin. Uh, it's those again. Yeah, the, the, the JSA 101 was, was awesome. I know a lot of people really enjoyed that. It may be our most downloaded show, Tom. Next to John Byrne, I think. Give yourself a pat on the back. I have. I do every day when I wake up. <laughs> he invented a back patter. I have uh, I have another one. It, this wasn't an email. This was actually someone on the forum that sent me a uh, It's about Wonder Woman being made a message. Play. <laughs> no. Uh, this, this is from uh, Ethical Assassin on the forum. Uh, Jordan is, is his real name. He said, uh, just a note to say that I enjoy the show. I'm about as new to comics as it gets. Friday night I decided that I wanted to learn about comics and see if there were any that I would be interested in reading. I've never bought or read any comics before. <coughs> After reading a few reviews and listening to your podcast, I decided that I might like to give Fables a look as my first read. I was lucky that my lo local library had the first eight trade paperbacks and 1001 Nights of Snowfall available. I read volume one at the library Monday and checked out volumes two through four. I've been I've since devoured them and will be back tomorrow to check out uh, volumes five through eight and 1001 Nights of Snowfall. I think my first titles to buy will be Highwaymen and Criminal. Keep up the good work, Ethical Assassin. How long until he becomes jaded? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's a over under on him I think it's, our, our, it's our, our, our perfect opportunity to have a case study. Uh, yeah. Ethical Assassin, tell us the first time. Congratulations I would like you, on yeah. getting into comics, <laughs> but you'll become a true comics fan for the first time you're horribly disappointed by yeah. something. Which will happen. It'll be next Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah. Next yeah. Wednesday. I would like to see know. an online journal so we can pinpoint exactly <laughs> when, when this happens. happens. When but that, that's cool. Yeah, Fables I think that is a good way to It is a good... Yeah. But that it actually, gets uh, a little slow here and there uh, if you read a lot of trades, but it's good. Hey, sure. here, here for his uh, library, having such a yeah, great selection of comics. Cool. Yeah. How awesome is that? I think that's something people forget about is the library might be a good place to check if they don't want to invest necessarily in 
something that they don't know much about, you can always right. go take a look at it. And Absolutely. See. You got it. All right. Well, that will, uh, that will do it for our listener feedback. We always enjoy that, folks. Uh, yes. Actually, no, we. I'm sorry. We oh, do have God a little bit more uh, oh, listener well, uh, feedback. Uh, uh, I want to mention, uh, join, <laughs> no. join our friends of the program. Uh, you can go to www.aroundcomics.com. And download and print out our LCS Challenge flyer. Ask your local shop manager or owner if they will display it in the store. If they do, send us an email and we'll mention you and the store on the show as well as post it on our site. Become a friend of the program today just like uh, Eric. And Eric sent us an email saying, I've been a listener for a while and found your listener challenge. I printed the flyer so I could show it to my LCS and the owner was only too glad to display the flyer in the shop. It's called Go Joker. Uh, and is about a five-minute walk from the central station in Amsterdam, uh, the Netherlands, and Europe. They have a big selection of comics, American and translated in Dutch, as well as European graphic novels translated in Dutch. The information from my LCS is Go Joker Z Zijik. I'm gonna murder this. Thirty. Z- the next one is thirty-one. Z e e d i j k thirty-one a one thousand twelve a p Amsterdam, the Netherlands. Uh, or gojoker.nl, G-O-J-O-K-E-R-N-L. Greetings, Eric. And thank you very much, Eric. That's awesome. We have a flyer in Amsterdam. And now it gives me an excuse to go there and write it off. Woohoo! We yeah. can all go to Amsterdam and write it off just to visit that shop. You can get How's that sound? You can lose a long time. Yeah, I'm you're going there for comics. <laughs> Hell yeah! <laughs> yeah. Stoner. They have comics Stoner. in the red light district, yeah. right? Speaking what? of people with drug addictions, uh, <laughs> you can visit us at Comic Space at www.comicspace.com slash aroundcomics or at MySpace, www.myspace.com slash aroundcomics. Get in line behind the strippers. <laughs> <laughs> or also Frapper you can join our Frapper yeah. it's not on here but Frapper.com uh, uh, slash around comics yeah I don't so think we had any new Frappers this week no uh, there may have been one I think but I figured we'll wait until we'll we have a couple more put them in next week thank you alright you can uh, take me up on my personal favorite people have been kicking ass at this I'm so proud of you guys uh, it is my uh, my personal favorite Scotty's the, favorite <laughs> the, uh, the iTunes music <laughs> review just uh, go to the iTunes music store and leave us a review about what you think of the show special thanks to Geeky White Guy the Polish Enforcer Winter Day <laughs> AZ Brian I'm assuming that's Arizona Brian uh, Spoon Shoe and Devin H uh, make sure to check out all the great things that Around Comics has to offer it's your source for the best in comic book news reviews and opinions we post next week's topic on Tuesdays or Wednesdays if Chris forgets also, we are proud members of the Comics Podcast Network find more great podcasts at www.comicspodcast.com and thank you again to Borders for sponsoring this episode. To help mice thrive in a world filled with harsh conditions and predatory attacks, the Mouse Guard was formed. In this first volume, Saxon, Kenzie, and Liam are dispatched to find a missing merchant mouse that never arrived at his destination. In doing so, they stumble onto much more than they had bargained for. Get your copy of David Peterson's breakthrough series, Mouse Guard, at your local Borders. Borders is your home for the newest graphic novels, manga, and more. Find a store near you at borderstores.com. The most we've said the words mouse guard in any mouse. episode ever. Oh. Mice! Mises! <coughs> Mises! Hey. Episode 6 when we did the rodent mm-hmm. show. We forgot we about mouse yeah. uh, yeah. Hey, uh, everyone, one more week for our Be a Hero contest. We're really close to the $500 uh, donation goal that I had set out. So please <laughs> the help. The imaginary help. goal. Yes, the imagi- <laughs> well, you got to have goals. I'm starting my own charity so we can get people We're to all about dilute, diluting ourselves into well, fake goals true. and <laughs> achievements. It's the American way. But please uh, <laughs> help me dilute myself and get to this goal this week if you, if you can. Um, the Be 
Hero Contest rules are very simple. Just make a donation at heroinitiative.org and help veteran creators in need. Then send us an email at hero at, hero at aroundcomics.com letting us know that you did it. Everyone that makes a donation is entered into a drawing that will take place uh, next week. The contest is being sponsored by InStockTrades.com and they're including $100 in gift certificates good for anything that InStockTrades.com carries. In addition to a $50 gift certificate, the first place winner will receive a prize pack including a one-of-a-kind hardcover edition of Jeffrey Brown's I'm Going to Be Small, an autograph Scotty Young sketchbook, a Mike Norton Fallen Sun edition Captain America sketch, and more. I think Tim someone Seeley must have, someone must have taken the something. rare out from in front of the autograph Scotty's the rare, rare Scotty Young sketchbook. I find that to be bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Second prize is a $50 gift certificate to InStockTrades.com. So donate at HeroInitiative.org. Then email us at HeroAtAroundComics.com. Entries need to be in by June 30th. Jason Elf. Thank you. This is a special thanks to you. Thank you. Everyone else, turn off the show <laughs> right <laughs> now for five seconds. For Jason, Jason, thank you so much. Yes, and uh, once we're close, a couple more. All right, how like much that? more? How much more? Uh, it's like seventy bucks. So if I donate seventy, will you shut up? I will shut up. Uh, I don't have at least a day. Can I borrow seventy dollars, Scott? <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to thank everyone <laughs> for being a part of the show today. David Peterson, absolutely. Uh, Sal, what? Tom, oh. Scotty. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. You're very welcome for uh, being in my presence. I'm glad that I was able to enlighten you and uh, make you a better human being from being just around me. God, this is why the show went on for like an hour and 36 minutes last week. When it was <laughs> there was nobody to stop us, man. Touching each other. I'm sorry. Can you tell me about Frank Miller? No, more? we're doing it right now. Let's end. Oh, yes. we're done. Okay. Right. Everyone, have a fantastic rest of your week. We'll be back again on Monday with another full-length episode. In the meantime... Yeah. Come on. In no. between time. Thank you, Scotty. Oh, nice we'll job. be everywhere in Scotty Gets a Race. And around comics. See how good your show is at 112 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> like to suggest a topic, send us your comments, or are interested in becoming a panel member, email us at info at aroundcomics.com or visit the contact us section of our website. Music for the show provided by the Podshow Podsafe Music Network, music.podshow.com. Views expressed in the interviews or by guests of the show are solely those of the individuals expressing them and do not reflect the opinions of Around Comics. Thank you for listening today, and remember to join us next time when the panel will change, but our mission will stay the same bringing you the very best news, reviews, and opinions in and around comics. Around Comics is a Pipe Dream production. Copyright 2007. All rights reserved. What are you doing, dickhead? I thought you were...